Let me have you find John chapter 14. Brad will be uh, preaching on the passage, John 14, uh, 8 through 14. So it's John 14, 8 through 14. This is the word of the Lord. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Again, this is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we know that as, as we come in, in whatever condition we're in, we know that Jesus is a great Savior. And we pray that um, as churches all over our city and state and nation open your word, call that we, we pray that they would be faithful um, to, to preach uh, your word, proclaim your word, as it is so that we can truly know you, that people could come uh, to you through Jesus. And we pray for Brad now, just that as, as he shares the word with us, that uh, you would be with him to guide what he says, to help us to understand your word and to submit ourselves to it, to receive it so that we can know you better, so that where there's sin and burden, that there would be uh, repentance and forgiveness, that, the, that we would find grace where we need it, that we would find courage where we need it, and that we would see joy uh, that otherwise has been veiled through the clouds. So, Father, we bless Brad as he brings your word. Bless your people as we seek to receive it. Give grace for this, we pray. In Jesus' John name. John 14, as Stacy just read, sustained through satisfaction in a sufficient Savior. Um, I think I was trying to see how many S's I could get um, in a title there. But uh, the Gospel of John, as we look at the Gospel of John, it's a narrative, it's a story of the life of Christ, especially that ministry period of Christ's life there. And you, in that narrative of kind of what's happening through the history, it always keeps going back to who Jesus is. Keep turning right back to who Jesus is and getting into the weeds a little bit of the theology of Jesus as the Son of God and God the Son. That Jesus is God and continues to wind back to that over and over and over with the call to believe. You need to know who Jesus is and you need to believe and you need to trust in Him because He's what you need. He is enough for you. They keep wanting to look at, give us something, give us a thing, give us a direction to go. And Jesus says, hey, I did. It's me. It's me. You know? Jesus, show us the way last week. Uh, okay, look at me. I am the way. 
All those I am statements. I am what you need. I am enough for you. Sustained through satisfaction in a sufficient Savior. Have you ever spent more money than you can afford on something you didn't really need and got yourself in a bind doing so? Anybody ever been there? Oh, I just got to have it. Rebecca, probably no. I mean, you know, the rest of us, probably yes. Um, have you ever been so possessed with the hobby that your priorities got out of whack? Maybe you start neglecting your family a little bit, your relationship with the Lord, church attendance, something else like that. Have you ever been so consumed with the cares of this world that you lost your joy in the Lord? You ever been there too? There's a common root in all of those. In all of those things, there's a, there's a common root, and it's, it's, really, it's really probably a lot more sinister than we would want to admit, and it really is at the heart of all sin. It's a common thing. So uh, what are we talking about? What, what is sin? Now, we usually define sin as making bad choices, doing something that's against the commandments, the Scriptures, the teachings of God, and that's right, that is sin to do so. But what is behind those bad choices? What, what's at the heart and the root of those bad choices? Why do we sin? What is our motivation when we do sin? And yes, it's a corrupt heart, but what is the corruption of the heart? And I think when it comes down to it, it's a lack of satisfaction in God. The problem is we're not satisfied in God. It's a lack of satisfaction in Him. I love this quote by David Paulson. He says, The core insanity of the human heart is that we violate the first great commandment. The core insanity of the human heart is that we violate the first great commandment. Listen, we love anything except God unless our madness is checked by grace. We want something else. And sometimes maybe we think there's something better. Or something more. It's a lack of satisfaction in God. Think about Genesis 3. They lived in the Garden of Eden. They had everything. They had perfect fellowship with God. God walked with them and interacted with them and talked with them. It couldn't get any better than that. They had perfect fellowship of God with God, but they were allured away by the promise of something more. Yeah, you got this great, direct, perfect relationship with God but there's something more for you. There's something greater. As if there could be anything more than God. In essence, it's idolatry. Putting something unworthy in the place of God. It's kind of an exchange. You choose something lesser over the glory of God. And we do it all the time. All the time. Again, at the core... The core of all sin is a lack of satisfaction in God. I want something more, or at least I want something different. Saw it last week, Thomas's question, how can we know the way to God? This week it's Philip's challenge, show us the Father. How can we see and how can we know God? Show us the Father. Remember that Jesus is with the disciples, and it really is kind of a period of kind of turmoil and uncertainty. You know this is the Last Supper, right? Jesus has been talking to them about what's going to happen. He's been, he's been dropping hints, and sometimes He's been pretty explicit. I'm going to die. No, you're not, Jesus. No, no way, right? They just couldn't get it. They couldn't understand it. It's an uncertainty turmoil. Jesus is about to be arrested, tried, and crucified. 
And so he starts here, he says, guys, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. Right? I've got a place for you with me. And you listen, I'm going somewhere. And where are you going? How are we going to get there? Show us the way. I am the way, Jesus says. Uncertainty is a little bit there going on. Jesus is giving them these words to comfort their troubled hearts. They don't know what's happening. Everything's moving very fast now at this point. And Jesus is giving them these words to comfort their troubled hearts. So what is it that He's going to give them to comfort and sustain them? What is it He's going to give them? He's going to give them Himself. I am the way, Thomas. I am the way. Jesus is now going to take a deep dive a little bit into a little bit more about who He is. We see this over and over in John. He keeps going back to, let me tell you a little bit about who I am. And if you understand who I am, you get it. If you really understand that I am God and I am here with you and for you, then you have what you need. I am the way. So what is it that Jesus reveals about Himself that should be sufficient to sustain them? Number one, that He is the revelation of God. Jesus is the revelation of God. And kind of backing up just a little bit, picking up where Stacy left off last week. If you had known me, verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know Him and have seen Him. Kind of do that because it sets up where we're going in this text. If you know me, you've known my Father also. There, Know me, know the Father, Jesus says. If you know me, you know the Father. He's chiding them a little bit. By the way, it's, he's, you know, Philip's asking, you know, Philip's making the remark, show us the Father here. He's commenting, and Jesus is responding in his plural verb. He's talking to all of them. It's not just Philip here. The verbs are plural. He's chiding them a little bit. If they would have grasped who Jesus was, then they would know the Father also. He says, you know, if you'd have known me, you'd have known my Father also. You do know Him, you do see Him. It's a direct allusion to the, the deity of Jesus. He's equating Himself directly with the Father. Not just a manifestation of God, but God manifested. If you see the difference there. Jesus is saying, and He's told us over and over in the Gospel of John, I am God. We believe fully and completely in the deity of Christ. He is God. He is God who took on flesh. And back to John chapter 1. One of my favorite theologians to read is, is A.W. Pink. He said, The true knowledge of the Father cannot be obtained, but by the true knowledge of the Son. You want to know the Father? You know the Son. And if the Son really be known, the Father is also known. The Father is known just so far as the Son is known, no farther. Christ was more than a manifestation of God. He was God manifested in the flesh. He was the only begotten who fully declared Him. Talking about the Father there. It's a quote from John chapter 1. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Jesus. Nobody's ever seen God? See Jesus, you see God. Is what it's saying there. From now on, Jesus says, from now on, you know Him and have seen Him. Not just about the future. He's saying, listen, you see me. You've seen God. So Philip, picking up in verse 8, where we're, we're kind of kicking off here. Philip says, show us the Father. 
Show us the Father and it is enough for us. It goes back to that idea of satisfaction again, right? Show us the Father and it's enough for us. That's really all we need. Show us the Father. Again, Philip's not getting it. They, he didn't hear what Jesus had just said clearly. It's not, it's not sinking in. They, like us, have such a temporal and a material mindset that they miss the spiritual truth that's right in front of them. Show us the Father. Jesus, I just told you who I am. I am the Son, but I am one with the Father. And he's going to break that down a little bit more. Perhaps maybe Philip is wanting something like Moses. Remember when he hid in the cleft of the rock and God passed by and he was able to see the passing by of, of God? Or like Moses and, the, and Aaron and the 70 elders in Exodus chapter 24 where they beheld God in some sense. I think, show us something that's going to blow us away. That, you know, yeah, we're, we're right here with you, Jesus, but we just don't get it. Show us something that's going to, that's going to really blow us away. And can I, can I just make a statement? Because I think, this, I think this is true. I believe that when Moses saw the passing by of God and when God himself, God revealed himself to Moses and the Aaron and the 70 elders in Exodus chapter 4, that who they saw was Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus is a revelation of God. And Philip says, show us God, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Again, that last phrase is the root of all sin. Is it going to be, is Jesus enough for you or is he not? Are you wanting something else? Are you needing something else? Are you looking for something else? The revelation of God, God in the flesh, is right in front of them, but they're saying, we need more. We need something else. Philip wasn't satisfied with the one who he had seen do amazing miracles and speak with astounding wisdom as the Son of God. If He is God, then what else do you need? Jesus keeps going back to, listen, I, I am what you need. I am enough for you. Is that enough for you? Is it enough for you? Jesus somewhat rebukes Philip a little bit for it, and we need to hear, we need to hear the words. He goes on to say, have I been with you for so long, and still you do not know me, Philip? Philip, I, we've been together for like three years now, and you still don't get it. Have I been with you for so long, and still, and still you do not know me, Philip? Again, show us the Father. You want to see God? Do you not know me, Jesus says. See me, see the Father. Jesus says, and I love it. If you listen to what he says, um, have you been with you so long, Philip, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen God. You've seen the Father. How are you keep saying, Show us the Father? You just don't get it. It's, it's a beautiful picture. Jesus is, we see it all throughout Scripture. You saw it in John 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A few verses later, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We're talking about Jesus. He was, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now the Word has taken on flesh and dwelt among you. Christ, you're seeing me. 
Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God. When you see Jesus, you see God. He's the one uh, in whom, Colossians 2.9, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. I want to see God. Look at Jesus. No one has ever seen God. The only God is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. John 1.18 Jesus is the revelation of the Father. Why is He called the Word? Why is He called the Word in John chapter 1? Because He is the revelation of God to us. It's a revelation of the Father. Is this just theological talk that is disconnected from our daily lives? I mean, because that's where Jesus keeps going, right? Let me go back and tell you who I am. Let me go back and tell you who I am. Is this just theological talk? Is this just something that's really for the seminaries? Is it something that's just for Bible colleges? Or something that's just for, you know, classes that want to dig into deep theology? Or is this something really for us? It's something for us. Jesus is the revelation of, our, of the Father. This is something for your daily lives according to Jesus. Remember that this is, this is what He was telling them to heal their troubled hearts. Here's the point. Listen, here, this is, I think this is really important. Lack of hope is always a failure to see Jesus rightly. Okay? Lack of hope in your life is a failure to see Jesus for who He really is and to know Him. It's huge. The main point is that Jesus is God, and when we see Him rightly, we see He is sufficient, and we find our satisfaction and our hope in Him. There's, there's two concepts here. Sufficiency, is Jesus enough or is He not? Is He enough for me, or do I need something else? And satisfaction. You're going you're gonna to try to find satisfaction somewhere, and so you can waste a lot of time and a lot of your life looking for satisfaction in a lot of different things. Drinking out of broken cisterns that can never hold water, the Scripture describes it as. You can, you can, you can look for satisfaction in a lot of things, or you can find satisfaction in a Savior who is actually sufficient. You need to know who He is. Lack of hope is a failure to see Jesus rightly. No. Number two, Jesus is one with the Father. Jesus is one with the Father. Let's look at verse 10. Do you believe, do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my authority, but the Father who dwells in me uh, in me does his works. Do you believe? We're going to move, we spend a little bit more time on the first one. We're going to move a little bit faster through these others as Jesus continues to reveal something about what he is. The first part of John 10, though, he's saying, listen, the, the, the Father and the Son were eternally one. Do you believe that I'm, I'm one with the Father? The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father. So you have the Father and you have the Son here in this interaction. Jesus says, we're one. We're eternally one. The Father is in me. I am in the Father. There's only one God. We know that Deuteronomy 6, 4. Here is the Lord our God. The Lord is one. There's only one God. But this one God exists in the three persons. The third person of the Trinity is going to come into play next week um, in, a, in a beautiful way. 
uh, as Pastor Stacy is going to preach that for us next week. But John 10.30, I and the Father are one. Again, the main point is that Jesus is Himself God. And 10a ties in directly with um, 11, in verse 11, uh, where believing is then commanded. Do you believe? Do you believe? I and the Father, do you believe I'm God? Because if I'm God and I'm the God of the universe, then I'm enough for you. Is there something greater that you need than that? Is there something greater than you need than the God of all creation, the God of all the universe? Again, lack of hope is failure to see Jesus rightly and to trust in Him. Number three, Jesus' words carry out the works of the Father. His words carry out the works of the Father. Again, in verse 10, the second half, the words that I say to you, I do not say on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. It's an interesting play of words um, that's going on there. The words of Christ and the works of the Father are perfectly in sync. So what Jesus says and what God is doing is the same. They're perfectly in sync there. Notice that Jesus refers to His words as the Father's works. My words are the Father's works. What He desires, I speak, it's done. You have a beautiful and perfect unity in, in the Godhead there and who God is. We have, we've seen it all throughout the book of John that Jesus speaks the very words and works of God because He is God. And so do you see Jesus rightly. Do you know him? I think it's real easy for us in our culture to know a lot about him. But the issue is, do you know him? Well, ultimately, we're talking about a relationship here, right? You can know some things about God theoretically, but do you know Jesus, who is sufficient, who is God, and who's God who came to you? Do you know him? Are you trusting Him with your life or are you looking for something else? Number four, it's kind of, kind of the, Jesus is kind of capping this off, which He does. Again, we see these same things over and over and over. Therefore, believe. Therefore, believe. Again, this is not just facts to be acknowledged. This is a person to be trusted. And Jesus is saying, you can trust me, guys. Everything you see around me, I created that. I made this. I am the author of this universe. I've got a purpose. Trust me. I am God. Trust me. Jesus even condescends to the weak faith of the disciples here in verse 11. I'm just going to read it. Believe me that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. Yes, listen. See who I am and believe in me. And if you can't get there, just look at what I'm doing, guys. Just look at what I'm doing. Now, let's give them a little bit of, of a break here. Jesus is condescending to the weak faith of the disciples, and he calls them to believe in God. And at least to even look at what he's, the miracles that he's doing, he's raising the dead, he's doing all these things. People can't just do that. And we do need to remember that they don't have the benefit of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit yet. In fact, I think it's next week we'll see that, that it says the Spirit is with you, but He will be in you. That's coming for, at Pentecost. 
a new different thing going to go on there. But they just, they're just having a hard time getting it right now. They're having a hard time getting it. Trust your life to the one who else, who is God. Now, if you can find something higher than God to put your trust in, then you should probably do it. But you're not going to find anyone greater than Jesus. He is sufficient. He is enough. What else do you need? Are you satisfied in Him? Are you looking for something more? There is nothing more. There is nothing more. I, I, one, of my, one of my favorite Old Testament passages is in Isaiah 55, and I think it sums it up. It's the invitation that Jesus is giving them right here in John, but it's given through Isaiah 700 years before. God is saying, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come to me. God's saying, come to me. I am what you need. You, don't, you think you need everything else. And you go and you get those things, and you're still empty. Come to me. Listen to what he says. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. More abundantly, to the full. Well, how do we know that life? You walk really closely with Him is how you know it. You see Him for who He is. You love Him. And you realize that He's not just great and He's not just God out there. He's God in here. He's come to me. He gave His life for me. He's given His Spirit to me to live in me. He has done everything for me. I need to quit looking elsewhere and I need to embrace Him. And embrace Him completely. So what does all this mean when you do believe? And that kind of brings us to the, the, the second part here just a little bit. We're just going to be here briefly. The sufficiency of Christ for the believer. The sufficiency of Christ for the believer. Believe, uh, believers do the works that Jesus does. So you kind of have it see, okay, he says, believe, understand who I am. Again, this side, understand who that I am, believe in me. And now he's going to talk a little bit about what that's, what's that going to mean in your life when you do that. We're going to see the sufficiency of Christ. Believers do the works that Jesus does. Verse 12, the first part of it. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Whoever believes in me is also going to do the works that I do. What you see me doing, you're going to do if you believe in me. Don't just think miracles here. Um, obviously, this is with the disciples. That's very much going to come into play. Maybe even so more so with the apostles than, than today. But don't just think miracles here. How do, you, how do you know a true believer? How do you know a true believer? Well, Jesus says you're going to know them by their fruits. He also says you're going to know them by their love. You're going to know them by the fruits. You're going to know them by their love. You're going to, there's some things in their life. In other words, they're going to do what Jesus did. They're going to, they're, you're, going to see, you're going to see some of the character of Christ, the fruits of the Spirit, we're talking about the same thing, in that person. They're fruits of the Spirit because they have the Spirit within 
Him. How do you know a true believer? He or she is doing the work of Jesus. In other words, a true believer, they, they live out their faith. There's a lot of people that think that as long as I have my fire insurance, right? As long as I have my fire insurance, as long as I got the get out of hell free card, then, then that's really all that matters. They don't have to do anything else. It's not a biblical idea um, at all. I should do better, but ultimately it doesn't matter. You might say. The New Testament knows nothing of a salvation that's not life-changing. You just don't see it. Salvation in the New Testament is a death to life, heart of stone to heart of flesh, life-changing encounter. And if that's not it, then it's not New Testament salvation. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are Christ's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. By the way, it just tells you... One verse before that, you're not saved by your works, <laughs> but you are his workmanship. He is working in you, and you're going to be different. Number two, believers, number one, believers do the works of Christ. Number two, believers do greater works than Jesus did. Now, this one's hard. What in the world does that mean? Look at the second half of verse 12. It says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. You're going to do what I do and you're going to do greater things than I do. How in the world, what do we do with that? How could that even be possible? He's God. He came. He raised the dead. He was born of a virgin. He lived without sin. You're not pulling that off, okay? He's about to rise from the dead. And he's going to accomplish the salvation for all who will believe for all time. And greater works than these you will do. <laughs> what is he talking about? Well, I think you can, you can get in the weeds here a little bit and talk about qualitative versus quantitative. And, you know, the idea is it can be more extensive, greater in quantity. I don't think we're going to top saving the world. What is Jesus saying here? Well, I think it could have a lot of practical... Jesus never preached outside of Palestine. But what are these disciples are going to do? They're going to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. They're going to take it to all nations. We are taking it to all nations still to this day. Jesus had a small number of followers. But the gospel is going to go to millions and millions. I'd ask you, which are the greatest works too? Is it the physical works or is it the spiritual works? We know that the day of Pentecost is coming and they're going to know the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, world evangelization. Every, listen, I think this is an important point. When every believer in this room was saved, it was a greater miracle than the raising of Lazarus. When you were saved, it's a greater miracle than the raising of Lazarus. That's physical and temporal. You were taken from death to life for all eternity. Incredible, incredible miracle. Jesus says, listen, because I am going to the Father. Why? Because I am going to the Father. What? Jesus is saying, I am going, but you're going to do just fine. I'm going to the Father, but don't worry about it. You're going to be okay. He's just been telling them, I'm everything you need, now I'm leaving 
again, I don't want to get ahead of Pastor Stacy next week, but we're really going to see this. But he's sending himself. <laughs> the answer to them for them is God. They need God. They need to trust God. He's right there with them. And by the way, he's going, but guess what he's sending? Himself. In the Holy Spirit. What do we do? So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? <clears throat> well, one thing we do is we pray confidently. Believers pray confidently. Look at verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, this is not a formula to get it whatever you want, because I think it'd be easy to read it that way, right? Whoo, man, I, God is in my debt here. I, I could just tell him what a, 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 I've got a formula here, and I can ask it in Jesus' name, and I'm going to get whatever, whatever I want. Just pray and pray for it in Jesus' name, and God's bound to give it to me. He said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Let's take a moment to look at that phrase in his name. In my name, Jesus says. We ask in Jesus' name. Is that just a kind of attack on at the end of the prayer? Is it a magic formula? I pray in Jesus' name, or I pray in the name of Jesus. We, we use that all the time, right? Is it a power formula? Is it an attack on? In my name means something. He says, whatever you ask in my name. It means a prayer that looks to him and that trusts in him. We're praying in Christ and for Christ. It's a totally different kind of prayer. It's a prayer of faith. I'm trusting in Jesus. I'm praying in the name of Jesus. I'm looking to him for the power to fulfill any of this. I have nothing on my own. In my name means a prayer that looks to him and trusts in him. It's a prayer of faith. It's to pray in total dependence on Christ. I'm completely unable, but Christ is able. It isn't a prayer that comes demanding things from God. If it is, it's not a prayer in His name. It's a prayer in your name. If it's just you coming to demand things from God. But it's calling out on Him and trusting Him, not just to provide an answer, but to be the answer. I think that's, again, what we're seeing over and over and over. If you ask in my name, I'm going to do that. Because when you ask in my name, you're coming to me, you're trusting to me, you're looking to me. It's in my name. And guess what? It's not just an answer that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you myself. You need peace? Then you need the Prince of Peace. You need life? Jesus said, I am the life. You need hope? You need the hope of the world. You need Him. He is the answer. For all, I love it, 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why that is through Him we utter our amen to God for His glory. I think that sums up what it means to pray in Jesus' name right there. All the promises of God find their yes in Him. This is why through him we utter our amen to the glory of God. In other words, in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Our problem is 
is that we think we need something else. The answer, listen, the answer to your needs is not financial, not material. You say, well, you don't, haven't seen my bills? Uh, trust me, I've seen my own bills. I get that, right? What we need in any real ultimate sense is a person, and it's Christ. The answer to all our needs is Christ, and He has given us Himself. In Christ's name and for God's glory. We can pray confidently in Christ's name and for God's glory. Listen to what he says. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. I'm going to do it, that the Father might be glorified for God. So what is Jesus' motivation in answering your prayer? What is Jesus' motivation in answering any believer's prayer? That the Father might be glorified in the Son. You see it again? Jesus answers... Jesus answers prayers of faith, trusting in Him for the glory of His Father. It's ultimately the glory of God. So what does that mean for us? It means that a prayer that is not ultimately for the glory of God is not a prayer in the name of Jesus. It's not a prayer in the name of Jesus. This may be why you don't get everything you want when you pray. You're praying amiss if you're praying with the wrong motive and the wrong heart. And it's not a prayer trusting in Christ and looking to Him. What does the Word say about this? Well, James 4, 3, you ask and you do not receive. In other words, you don't just get everything you want, right? Because ultimately, it's not looking to Jesus and trusting in Him and for the glory of God. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Maybe a lot of selfishness there. Can I just go back and say, why would we do that? Probably because we're looking and think we need something else other than what He has already given us in Himself. He's the answer. So to wrap up, are you seeking your own passions or are you sold out to Christ's glory? Are you satisfied in Christ or are you looking for something else? Guys, I don't think this is small. I think it's huge because we struggle with a lot. I mean, we are so over... We have, honestly, in America, we have some of the most affluent, easiest lives that people have had through all history, and we struggle. We struggle. I, I think we're looking for satisfaction, and we're looking for joy, and we're looking for hope, and we're looking for our purpose and meaning in all, all kinds of different things instead of looking at a person instead of looking to Christ. He's saying, I, I'm what you need. Let not your hearts be troubled. I got you. I am the way. I am God, and I have come to you. Look to me. Trust in me. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you for your hope. God, I know just in my own how often and how easy it is to chase satisfaction in so many different things and miss the satisfaction that I already have in you. Um, and you're right there. Lord, I thank you that you've made that possible because you came to us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You came to us. You showed us who you were. You taught us who you were. You gave your life to us to make it possible for us to be reconciled back to you. 
And now you've even given us your spirit, Lord, so that we can know you and you dwell in us. God, help us to be satisfied. Help us to come, buy and eat. Come to the, to the living waters and not spend our money on our labor on what does not satisfy, as Isaiah tells us. Lord, we need you. We look to you and we trust you. And pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.